sermon title this morning is The Gospel is the Cross. In the medieval dark ages, what a dark time in history. It was a time in which the people were enslaved to the traditions and the superstitions of the churches in that, in, of, of that day. A time in which people feared the sight of a vindictive God who took pleasure in punishing the unrighteous. A time in which people were obsessed in punishing themselves if only they could gain the approval and acceptance and the peace of God within their hearts. It surely was a terrifying time. But I thought about the true condition of our churches today, beloved, this morning. I often ask myself the question, has anything changed? Have we today gone back to the dark beliefs of the dark ages in only a little different way? Have we gone back to the days in which people feel that no matter what they do, they're not good enough? Have we gone back to the days in which people feel that they're not really sure whether they're saved or they're not saved? Have we gone back to the days in which people are looking upon God as one who is out to punish the unrighteous? Are not people today oppressed, beloved, this morning with the same fears that plagued the dark ages? Beloved, this morning I present to you from my experiences that they are. And I believe that the only thing that can break us away from the chains of spiritual depression, beloved, is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. For the Word of God is the only thing that can set us free from the slavery not being good enough. The Word of God is the only thing that can liberate us from the tyranny of fear of God. The Word of God is the only thing that can give us hope of something better in this life and in the life to come. So this morning... As we begin a study of the book of Romans, may our eyes be open to God's word. Let us pray. Father, help us to understand your word. May you be glorified. May Jesus be uplifted. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through a Bible study this morning. Romans. We're studying Romans beginning in Romans chapter 1. We're going to stay in Romans chapter 1 this morning. Now, let's look at a little bit of the introduction. Paul's obedience. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. What did Paul call himself? The Bible says, Paul, a what? Servant of Jesus Christ. Now, servant is one who what? Does what? Serves. So in other words, Paul was one who wasn't living selfishly for what he wanted but he was living unselfishly for other people. There was a time in Paul's life where he only lived for himself to please what he wanted. He didn't care about everyone else in his life. But all that changed when he got a glimpse of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and the scales fell off from his eyes and he got to see a true picture of who Jesus Christ really was. And when he beheld the unselfishness of Christ, that Christ wasn't selfish, but Christ was unselfish, when he saw that, beloved, then that transformed him to become unselfish also. In the same way, beloved, when the scales fall off from our eyes and we get a glimpse of the true picture, the character of God, his unselfish life, 
we too will be transformed and start living unselfishly for other people. Look at verse 5. What did Paul say he received grace and apostleship for? 1 verse 5, the Bible says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Paul said that he received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Now, true faith is obedience. But the Bible says in James 2.17 that faith, if it doesn't have works, is what? Dead. So there must be works. You can't just profess to be a Christian, but there must be actions and works. We are told in Galatians chapter 5 or 6 that faith works. Now how does faith work? You look at your, let me give you an example. Look at your yellow papers there on the top there. If a person has life, is alive, what does that person do? Breathe. It's natural, right? But if a person is not alive, and a person does not have life, what happens to his breath? There's no breath. So in order to breathe, one must be alive. And if someone is not alive, then that person does not breathe. Faith and works are the same thing. Alive, faith is like being alive and works is like the breath. If a person has, see there's true faith and there's counterfeit faith. If the person has true faith, then that faith will have works with it because it's to unite it. But if that faith, if a person has no faith, or even a counterfeit faith, that's not the real faith, but a person has true faith, then that true faith, it has no true faith, then that person will have no works. Do you see that? A true faith in God will bring works within your life. It is a natural consequence of having a true faith in God. What did Paul say he was? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. Paul said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul said that he was a debtor to the whole world. In other words, he didn't believe that the whole world owed him something. He didn't believe that he could try and get the most out of everyone out there and to take advantage of people because he felt his whole life was to be in debt to serving other people. Some people out there may think that the old, the, they act like the world owes them something. They expect people to spoil them, expect people to do things for them. But Paul, when he got a grasp of the gospel, when he understood the gospel, he had a burden for the world that he felt there was, he was in debt to the world when he received the grace of Christ in his life. And the person who receives the most of the grace of Christ in their life will give the most back to Christ to people. Amen? Turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 7 as we study, continue our study. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. How were all the Christians in Rome called? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 7. Looking at the, the obedience of Paul now. The church. The obedience of the church. The Bible says, Paul is writing here to the church in Rome. It says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be 
What does it say? Saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many sinners in this church this morning? Let me see your hands. <laughs> how many saints in this church? Let me see your hand. <laughs> Interesting, huh? But I want you to notice that the Bible text said that he called everyone in Rome a saint. If you look at all the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote the letters to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth. You see, what has happened in the dark ages, the church, the Roman church, was that they separated the levels of spirituality. They made one level, the common people, everyone else, and then the religious workers of God, who were very spiritual, they put them up there in sainthood. You heard of that, right? And so it made two tiers of devotion and spirituality. And so humanity, all of us, to this day, believe that we are sinners, yes, but this word does not apply to us. First of all, we are sinners, saved by grace. Amen? We all know that. But we don't know the other part, that the Bible calls those who are in Christ, who surrender Christ, that the Bible calls every single one of us in the church saints by the grace of God and to the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because if we don't believe that we are saints, we will never reach that goal. If our goal is never to be holy and pure in Christ, we will never even go down that road in that direction. And so the Roman church has led in that direction for us to believe that there's two tiers of spirituality within the world. How many sinners here this morning? How many saints here this morning? By the grace of God. Amen? How else was the church in Rome looked at? Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 8. Notice what the Bible says as we go through our Bible study this morning. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. In other words, this church was not only called saints, but this church was also spoken of throughout the whole world because of their faith. Now, faith must work. In other words, they were known for their faith in God and also their works and their obedience to God. So here was a church that was faithful to God. So the church at that time was dedicated to serving and loving God. They were known for their faith which worked throughout the whole world. And my question this morning is, what is the Honoka church known for in this community? When people think about the church, or wherever church you may be from, when people think, well, oh yes, the, the church in the corner, right? When you think about our church, what is the Honokai church known for? The church in Rome was known that their faith was known not only in the district and the community, but it was known throughout the whole world. And my question is, what is this church known for in this community and throughout the whole world? Are we known for being a people of faith, of serving the community, loving the community, well known among the people here, is my question here this morning. Or do people not even know who we are. I remember Stephen D'Souza, he always used to say, if this church was to shut down, would they ever miss us here? Remember? 
And he also asked me the question, will people be more outraged because Blaine shut down than the whole culture shut down? Right? Would they notice it more because the Salvation Army or Blaine shut down? McDonald's in Waimea. Would they be more of an outrage and people picking in the streets because they want Blaine's back or because of the Holy Church? <laughs> what did Paul look forward to? Romans chapter 1, verse 12. Look what the Bible says. Paul said about this church, verse 11 says, For I long to see you, in verse 12, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Here was a church where the ministers would come not only to minister to the people, but he said he himself, Paul, minister, would be comforted by the mutual faith, both of you and me. In other words, the church was so strong, the church memberships were so spiritual, they had a faith which worked, that they were also able to comfort and bless Paul the Apostle. What a powerful church, amen? So dedicated, so committed were the members. So full of God's love, reflecting his beautiful character, that he looked forward to come to them. He longed to see them, that he could be comforted from all his trials and hardships, together with the mutual faith, the joint faith effort between the ministers and the church members. Again, I ask that question. How is the Honokah Church? Is this a church where ministers come and they speak here? And not only do they minister to our souls, but just them being here, they themselves feel that they've been refreshed and blessed by being with us in this church. It's a good question to ask this morning, beloved. What did Paul say that he wasn't ashamed of? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is the verse I want to focus on this morning. The main thrust this morning. Notice what the Bible says. What did Paul say he wasn't ashamed of? The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. But unfortunately today, there are many people today who are ashamed of the gospel. Is Christ ashamed of us? Hebrews says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for it to prepare for them a city. And 2.11, it says, God is not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, God is not ashamed to call us his brother. God is not ashamed to, to be called our God. God is not ashamed of us this morning. Have you ever felt ashamed of hanging around a certain person? <laughs> Have you known anyone out there that you just don't want to hang around because you're ashamed to be around them? Do you ever know anyone like that? <laughs> Maybe it's you this morning. Now I'm not talking about the shame you feel because your friends like to embarrass you in front of, all, in front of the public. That's not the type of shame I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? They do things that make you feel foolish and shameful. But I'm talking about the shame that you would feel because the person that was with you had a shameful reputation. In other words, 
you feel shame hanging around a certain person because you feel that that person will lower your name or your reputation. You know, it's someone like that. My question this morning is this. Are we ashamed of God because we feel that our name or our reputation will be lowered because of it? Think about that. You see, those who are ashamed of God are those who think themselves to be superior to God. And that is the lowering of their dignity to be associated with God. You see, when you're ashamed of someone, you actually think you're better than that person. That's why you don't want to be associated with that person, right? That's why you distance yourself from that person. And when we're ashamed of the gospel, when we're ashamed of Christ, when we're ashamed of being a Christian, when we're ashamed of God, what we're really saying is that we are superior to God, therefore we don't want an inferior like God hanging around me or being known, associated with me because I don't want to lower the dignity of my name or my reputation. Are we ashamed of God this morning? In other words, to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ is just a worst-case scenario of the exaltation of self. For we think that we are better than God and that He's not worthy to be associated with us. Are you ashamed of God this morning? Have there been times where you neglected to pray, to let people know you're Christians, talk about God, Continue on in verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. What is the gospel of Christ? The Bible says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The gospel of Christ is the power of God. You see, God has implanted in within all of us a desire for power. Unfortunately, the devil has deceived most of us. We think that power is to be gotten in possessions of wealth or in the positions of power. So people work really hard to obtain these things. But only Christ is the only one who the desire of all nations is the one that can fulfill the longings within our heart for the power of the gospel this morning. Amen? Only Christ can fulfill this and satisfy the longings of the soul this morning. Now, what is the power of God? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Note what it says here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God this morning. Amen? Do we need power this morning, beloved? Do we need God's power is my question this morning. And it says, unto salvation. For it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, not only does the gospel give us the power of God and satisfy the longings of the soul, but also the gospel is the very means that save us. Do we need salvation this morning, beloved? It is the power of God unto salvation. We're told in the Bible that we are to preach the gospel to all the world. In other words, the gospel is so important that we're to preach it, whatever it is, throughout the whole world. But if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, then what else besides salvation do we need this morning? What more can we ask for this morning? 
Now, what exactly is the power of God? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. What exactly is the power of God? We know that the gospel is the power of God. And notice what the Bible says here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross, so the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So to those out there who are lost, the cross is foolishness. But it says, but unto us which are saved, it is the what? Power of God. So the cross to the world is foolish, but to those who are saved, the Bible says here that the cross is the power of God this morning. Now look at your papers here. It's called substitution. Bible interpretation. A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God. That's the first line. Then we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 that the cross also is the power of God. If the gospel is the power of God and the cross is the power of God, then beloved, the gospel that we're to preach throughout the whole world is the cross of Calvary. Amen? That is the gospel that is to, to go throughout the whole world. And another word for the name gospel is what? Good news. In other words, the good news, according to the Bible, straight from the Bible this morning, as we study it, the good news, the gospel, is the cross of Calvary, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary for you and me. Amen? So the gospel we ought to preach to all the world is the message of the cross of Calvary this morning. I want you to notice these quotes here. One from gospel workers. Theoretical discourses are essential that people may see the chain of truth link after link uniting in a perfect whole. But listen to this. But, what does that say? No discourse should ever be preached without presenting Christ and Him crucified as the foundation of the gospel. Amen? Every sermon that is preached, every Sabbath school classes that is taught should always be presented with the foundation of the cross of Calvary this morning. Amen? Another thing also goes on and says here, in a bold print, the Son of God uplifted on the cross. This is to be the foundation of every discourse given by our ministers. Everything that is taught and believed within a church is based upon the foundation of the cross of Calvary. The love of God, His character revealed, that is to be shown in everything that is presented to the people. What did Paul say about the cross? So much so. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. That's what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 2. He said, He knew this truth. And that's when he, when he preached, he said, For I am determined. Now, when you're determined, is that pretty serious? He said, for I am determined not to know anything among you. I don't want to know anything in this world, but one thing. And he said, I am determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen? I don't want to know anything else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified on the cross of Calvary. You see, normally as a church, 
we have a system of truth comprising such subjects as the third angel's messages, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, the Second Advent, honor your father and your mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, etc., etc., etc. And to all of these, we add a little gospel on the side to each of these doctrines as we try and teach them. The idea of justification by faith. But beloved, there's only one gospel in the Bible that we have to preach, and that gospel is the gospel of the cross. Amen? If we have to preach any subjects within the church of God, then it is to be preached with the foundation of the cross of Calvary, which reveals the love of God for us. All of these subjects are good and important because in the light of the cross, they only reveal the true character of who God really is this morning so that we will fall in love with him. Notice the last quote it says here. It will be, that's why it's said in Desire of Ages, it will be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and that the imagination grasps each scene, especially the closing ones. What closing ones? The cross of Calvary. Every day we are to behold the cross of Calvary for at least an hour so we can meditate upon His goodness, His love, His mercy, His favor for every one of us. And when we behold that, it will transform us as we meditate upon the scenes in our mind, the power of God will be unleashed in our lives. For as we behold the scenes of the nails being pierced through His hands and feet, our prideful hearts will be humbled and subdued. As you smell the stench of blood from the whippings of His back, you will then experience His great love that will give you victory over your sins. As you taste the savor of Christ's death, you then begin to see the kindness and the goodness of God that transforms you. As you hear the sounds of the wailing women, you then begin to comprehend the depth of the sacrifice that will make and mold you into His image. As you feel the pain of the insults cast upon our Savior, you then experience the broken heart that trustingly depends upon Him. These thoughts and feelings of the cross will transform you like anything else will. For the cross of Calvary, beloved, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, do you need the power of God in your life this morning? Do you need the power of God to overcome the pride and arrogance in your life? Do you need the power of God, beloved, this morning to overcome the sins and evils and dependence on man in your life? Do you need the power of God to overcome the selfishness within all of our hearts this morning, beloved? Do we need as a church this morning the power of God like we've never seen it before? And that power of God is found within the Word of God, within the cross of Calvary. As we behold the cross, we'll be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen? We need power today, beloved. 
If this world needs one thing, it is power to overcome any type of dependence or addictions in our lives. We need it more than ever before. Our world is saturated with sin, with evil, with wickedness. Some of us parents, we tremble at the thought of our children growing up in this type of world. If there ever was a time we needed God, and God help us, if there ever was a time when we needed the cross, it is today. Now is the time, beloved. Now is the time to take it seriously. Now is the time to spend that time with God. Now is the time to behold His love on the cross of Calvary, that His love can transform us this morning. If there ever a time we need to be faithful, it is now. If this is true, well, then why don't we study the cross of Calvary and the truth in His Word that would transform our lives? Why don't we believe in the promises of God this morning? Why don't we look upon that sacred head that is wounded? Why don't we look upon what He did for you on the cross? And I can promise you by the grace of God this. If you just spend time with God every single day, every morning, and meditate upon His life, the life of Christ, and what He did for you on the cross of Calvary, if you would only do that, I can promise you by the grace of God, you will be a different person. Your home will be a different home. Your children will become different children. Your relationship between husband and wife will be a different relationship. You'll be a new creature in Christ. I'm longing for that. How about you? How many are longing for being a new creature to the cross? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.